Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Calafia mm, Farms. Fine, fine almond milk. They have a couple of rad things that just rolled off the product line. If you want something that's creamy with coffee and delicious, try out some of their nitro cold brew stuff. They have three different kinds. They have a New Orleans, they have a mocha, and the latte. Yes, sir. Three different flavors. Those things are so good. They're so creamy. And uh, you can also look on their blog. Chris and I have been putting together some things for the old uh, the recipes that you can use these drinks with. The Calafia stuff is really good. Central American coffees, Colombian coffee, go into those uh, products. and They froth. They froth. They, they foam. They they're, cream. They're cream. Cream foam. Cream foam. Get a nice cream foam. Yeah. It's thinking different. Anyway, check it out. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot, Calafia. You guys are the bomb, and I really love your products. Respect. So much respect. Let's get some weird. Let's get so chatty. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. This is Chris Baca, Jared Ruby, and not on a microphone currently, Charles Jack. He's got some food, and he's going to eat it here for you. <laughs> we are sitting outside of the Cat and Cloud location, 3600 Portola Avenue in Santa Cruz. They are painting. We have a roaster in there. Yeah, it's going down right now. It is a beautiful San Franciscan 25-pounder. It looks gorgeous. Shout out to San Franciscan for putting that thing together. Next, next. There is a huge like dump truck kind of thing being wheeled into our yard right now. We have an interview to do. We did interviews all day yesterday uh-huh, uh-huh. starting at 8.30 in the morning. We interviewed people. Our last interviewee was at 6.30 p.m. Yeah, we did an all-day run yesterday. It was a big day. It is awesome. Just to get to take time and talk to people yeah, about gonna... what their motivations are, mm-hmm. what makes them tick, and I don't know. It was pretty cool. There's a siren. You can probably hear it. Yes. Fire engine. The siren's calling us in, but we're not listening. We wouldn't do that. Yeah, they're painting here right now. Counters are all going in. It's going off. We're going to be ready to be inspected here in the next couple of weeks. It's going means, down. Uh, it's going down. It's going down. It's going down. <laughs> it's going down. <laughs> Fade to black. We'll score so many touchdowns. So many touchdowns, you guys. So many touchdowns. Okay. So, so we have some good questions. Yeah, we got some questions. From you. From uh, the people out there. Friends, amigos, relatives. Uh Let's start with this first one. The quick background is that this person is an American from Denver, Colorado. They live in a French-speaking North America or North Africa. Well, I'm crazy. Uh, the country where they live is a huge coffee-consuming country, but the quality is awful. Very, very bad. <laughs> I'm looking to start a coffee shop serving high-quality coffee by early next year. Training is his first question. Since the concept of high-quality coffee shops do not exist, hence the labor force for running this type of coffee shop does not even exist yet. Turnover can tend to be an issue here as well, so it adds to a complexity on the issue of opening a shop. I have been racking my brain about how to ensure quality cup after cup and reduce the learning curve for staff. I've even thought of going for a high-end super automatic machine just to make sure that the local staff can provide a good level of consistency. Is this heresy? (laughs) I've also thought of going with an auto-tamping grinding machine like the La Marzocco Swift. What are key tools and ideas to help reduce the learning curve and turn out great coffee consistently? Espro tampers, semi-automatic machines, other stuff? I don't know. Any thoughts would be awesome. Start there. That's a big one. Start there. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I would do is not overcomplicate it. When you're putting together your training program, you want to focus on the things that are going to have the key impacts on coffee flavor and ignore the fluff. And we call those things the big four. And that's 
your dose, how much coffee you're using. And we'll, we'll talk in terms of espresso here because I feel like that's where he's right. focused on. Well, that's where most of the, yeah, it's yeah. the base ingredient. So your dose, your yield, which is, you know, how big the end espresso is you're producing, the time frame that you're brewing in, you know, and your grind or particle size. And your grind and your time frame are kind of linked in the world of espresso. It's all really linked up. But those are the four main variables that are going to affect your coffee quality. So you don't need to dive down the rabbit hole of thinking about, like, temperature stability of your machine or different like really fringe techniques if you can nail those four things down with some solid technique behind them you'll be good so don't make it more complicated than you need to be i would definitely do on the machine side of things i would do something that could do volumetrics yeah volumetrics is a good way to start so that way you don't even have to worry about your yield or something with scales you know where you can set your output and forget it and then you can focus on getting the right amount of coffee in the portafilter and adjusting your grind properly. Yeah, I mean, for me, if I'm thinking about establishing specialty coffee in a brand new area, especially where it's culturally not even a thing yet, it's going to take a while for even just the people that are going to work for you to wrap their minds around this stuff. So I'm figuring you need to simplify everything as much as possible, as Chris said, but being able to take this super complex issue and make it easy for them to grasp is going to help make their job feel easier, and ultimately that's going to lead to more fun and also going to lead to less turnover and if you want to get people any better you gotta you know protect that turnover rate and that's all going to be extremely huge for you because these people become advocates for your company uh so yeah something something like volumetric great scales great um i'm literally not opposed to the idea of a swift machine in a situation like this although i think you could teach otherwise i don't know your skill level per se and in your ability to teach and how comfortable you are with this based on this email so if you felt like you were not able to teach a crew how to do everything in espresso prep really really technically and if you just didn't feel confident like a swift is an okay crutch i think yeah you could definitely make good coffee with it we've seen it the thing and i haven't used them for a extensive period of time but i have heard stories so this is hearsay this is just from other people that if you don't do the maintenance, the regular maintenance on them, they will break down. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do the regular maintenance on it. And then nobody ever does. Nobody does. So that. if you do decide to go that way, please make sure you do the regular maintenance on it. Um, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's a horrible idea. Just like just like anything else. Just make it simple. Make it approachable. Don't read don't read too many blogs or even listen to too many podcasts. <laughs> Maybe don't even listen to us. Just clean and clear. You just want to make making coffee is not hard. It's really not hard. You want to you want to take the hard part away from making coffee so that you can focus on getting people excited about coffee, engaging with customers mm -hmm. and do the things cuz that's that's really what's going to be a key factor here if nobody even knows what specialty coffee is a decent amount of your energy is going to be spent explaining like why am i paying more for this right and like what the hell is going on here yeah and why does it taste different yeah i mean yeah really service is hard making coffee is easy service is hard and you need to be able to allow your team to think the least amount possible about that coffee preparation and the most amount about making it approachable for the people walking in this is a question for jared truby <laughs> what are some tactics that you used in 2007? So Jared came to Santa Cruz to set up 
Verve in 2007. They opened their cafe on 41st Avenue, and there was no other specialty coffee in town, especially on the east side, which is just a really low-key surf community, and people did not expect what was coming. So how did you get them? Because I know that there was some resistance to it, right? for sure. There was, there's a few things that I did consistently. I mean, the, the simplest and easiest one that everybody can do and learn to do is just simply be nice and engaging. Uh, that's that's a straightforward, easy thing that you can always do. If somebody walks in, greet them quickly, make eye contact. If you're talking to somebody else, let them know that you care about them in whatever way that suits you. That's like a fairly straightforward way to get people in the door. When it comes to helping them to understand your coffee, I actually didn't do much more than talk about the fact that we roasted it ourselves and that we believe it's really amazing. What I did do a lot of the time is when I felt like these people were on the fence which a lot of times just being nice gets them off the fence alone. If people are still on the fence after that about the coffee or my interpretation of it in any way, shape, or form, I would tell them, if you don't like this, it's on me. And if they were going to leave without even beyond that, I would say, okay, here, I'm just going to make it for you. You can take this and give it away to somebody if you don't even like it. Like, it doesn't matter. And uh, there were people who were mad that we didn't have blended things. And there were people who were mad that we didn't have this, that, and the other um, multiple syrups. Verve only carries one syrup. Oh, maybe two now. We have a whiskey syrup that we worked on a little while back. But um, even that, we had one in-house syrup. And, and the ability to speak about that in an engaging way, in a way that seemed um, attractive, was a way for people to be like, okay, well, I can at least give this one shot. Like, what do I have to lose? And if you can give people that what do I have to lose feeling, then you give them an amazing beverage of quality. They leave feeling happy with a better drink than they've maybe ever had in their life. And you're sitting there like bossing up. Which are some of the same style of tactics that we use to say sell whole bean or something like that. You right. know, we have a lot of customers at the pop up that come in over on the west side and they haven't heard about us and they want to buy a bag of coffee. They're not even looking for a drink necessarily. So they're like, Oh, what does this taste like? And the ability to just like pour out a couple ounces, mm. give them a taste on the house, it's for free. It just makes them feel like they're being taken care of and it makes them feel like they're in a safe place and they get to try before they buy, which is nice because nobody wants to give away, you know, 15 to $20. Right. Not knowing what they're going to get. Like, am I going to get stuck drinking crappy coffee all week? So that just like, it just eases a lot of the tension and anxiety that there might be without about shelling out a relatively large amount of money right. for something that you don't know what you're getting. I mean, let me just drop a little... JT believerism. I believe this so much. Drop a gem on them, dog. I shop owners. How much more money will you make by giving somebody a small portion? So say you give them a two dollar beverage on you, and they tell all their friends how amazing your service was and how you changed them into a believer. How much more of the return are you going to get? Or even, dare I say it? Sometime you give somebody a bag of coffee that can cost you up to eight, ten dollars and then they buy coffee from you for the rest of their lives or like ten bags in a year. Is that investment worth the return? I would always say yes. And I find and understand that it is weird and the model is to sell. But if you find yourself with an opportunity to give in order to receive and everybody wins, why not take that risk? Even if it doesn't always pay off, why not take that risk? Yeah, I gave someone a bag of coffee at the pop-up the other day. They were on the fence, this coffee or that coffee, and we were trying to figure out what they wanted. Hey, hey we got all kinds of drive-bys going on over here. Drive-by um, honkings. Drive-by honkings. <laughs> Eastside Santa Cruz, dog. Top dogs. Um, they didn't know what they wanted, so they bought one bag of coffee, 
and they were about to peel from the register and i was like you know what take the other one that we were talking about here just just take this too and they're like well no you know i'm like no it's it's just on us let me know which one you like better if they like even one of those coffees oh yeah customer for life for life 100 percent guaranteed and so yeah we lost eight bucks 10 bucks or 12, did we 12 bucks <laughs> you know what i'm saying but then we gained what hundreds maybe thousands and like you said it's not just from that one person no he's it's telling everybody like, or she's dude, telling everybody i went to this thing and the dude hooked me up with coffee and guess what it's really good and right they're really enthusiastic about it and can you believe he Done. gave me a bag of coffee you should check it out right and it's not that the intention is to just be like sneaky and like trick people into liking your product but like you want those people to get good coffee. <laughs> like yeah, you, you want, want them to have, to have, the have what they want. <laughs> yeah. Like, because that's what makes people happy and that's what customer service is about. And really, we're so excited about our coffee that if it was viable, we would give it away anyway. And we can't because uh, then we'd be out of business and not have jobs. We're giving them away. Yeah. We're literally just. We're literally giving them away. Completely, completely Everything terrible entrepreneurs. <laughs> um, okay. So the same person goes on and says restaurant accounts. Another weird aspect about the dynamic here is that basically 100% of the higher-end restaurants use Nespresso machines. I would love to make these restaurants my clients, but how? Have coffee companies in the United States, Canada, Europe offered espresso making hardware to restaurants in the past to get them online as their clients? Are super automatic machines the answer here? Do I just have to wait for the market to evolve and for restaurants to buy a better kit? Any insight to this would also be awesome. And I just need to say, you don't need to wait for anything to evolve. You got to just make it happen and then Chris go because I know you got an idea. Yeah, I mean, it depends. There's not enough info here to really go on. I would ask, why do you want these people as your accounts? How much coffee are they really going to buy? And is it going to be worth it for you to provide these people with equipment? And yes, that's something that people do do in the U.S. at least. I don't know about Canada and Europe. But, but we do it terribly. A, a lot of people provide equipment along with coffee. Some people do it for free depending on the poundage of the account or the like esteem of the account. If it's a really crazy restaurant that everybody's heard of, it's got three Michelin stars and it's big time and the guy's on chef's table or whatever. Gordon Ramsay's steak. Yeah. Um, and then some people like spread the cost of the equipment out over the cost of the coffee. So let's say your espresso is 10 bucks a pound, but you can provide them with equipment and they pay it off over time by paying 12 bucks a pound for their coffee. That's a way to do it. Um, that's a win-win. But then the real key to getting good coffee in restaurants is kind of relates back to your first question, and it's making it easy for them and figuring out a way that it can integrate into their workflow and not be too much of a hassle. Because coffee, good coffee at the end of a meal is like a bonus. It's not a necessity to them. A kitchen is so complex, and a chef is taking care of so many different things and has so many moving parts and so many ingredients that to disrupt that just to make like proper espresso as you see it it's just there has to be a big return or win for the restaurant so you need to figure out are their customers going to notice because that's going to be a motivating factor for them what are they going to get out of doing this extra work and when you do do the extra work make it as easy as possible i've been through a bunch of nightmares of restaurant coffee installs in my wholesale days and i a lot of times i wasn't at the forefront of setting up the systems that they needed i would just kind of come in and clean up the mess on the back end or just do training after the systems were in place and i was just like oh my gosh we have a train wreck here and like no wonder they end up dropping the program <laughs> and you know what i mean for sure it's just like 
Well, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it. there is some sort of evolution that still needs to come into play. Like, let's be honest, the world still doesn't understand exactly what specialty coffee is, nor do they necessarily appreciate it on the level that we do. And so at this juncture, we need to be okay with small wins. Like most people that go to these restaurants are not going to taste the coffee and be like extremely impressed that it came from Stumptown or Cat and Cloud or anywhere. They're just going to drink coffee at the end of the day. And one day I think we're going to get there, but we aren't, we aren't yet. And beyond that, yeah, these guys, these, these people's focus at these restaurants is to serve, not to necessarily be a barista. Yeah. I mean, if a good baby step would be just improve the quality of the coffee. So if a restaurant doesn't have an espresso program and you want to get your coffee in there, don't give it an espresso program. Set up something like a batch brewer because they probably brew coffee already. I mean, maybe like you're saying they use Nespresso machines. I don't know what the culture is there compared to brewed coffee versus espresso. But if you can set up a brewer and offer really awesome brewed coffee that takes like literally next to zero labor. Right. And then they're like, oh, my coffee just tastes better. The customer is something will notice. And then they can kind of bite into that. More sirens. We apologize. Well, you know what? It's beautiful out here. Something though. just something just came to mind. Oh, it was the Our song third of the business siren. partner, Charles, and I might be mixing this up. I do believe he lived in West Africa. Is that true, or was it East Africa? So Charles is looking at me saying it was actually East Africa. So, <laughs> the question though, Charles, is and maybe it's actually not that different. Is is the coffee culture, drinking coffee culture, more espresso or more coffee? Espresso. It's espresso. It's espresso-based. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, then uh, I don't uh, disregard my previous statement. But still, you just got to make it simple, and you have to show a value proposition for the business that you're putting the coffee in. Yeah. they're not going to do it. Get them an automatic machine it's and important. put your coffee in it. It'll taste better than the other coffee. It's important to you because you know you're going to get those pounds and have your representation figure out why it's important to them. That was questions from our boy, Brendan Harrison. Thanks for writing in, buddy. Brendan. Buddy. have a bloody buddy hey buddy hey buddy all right here we go i don't even know who this is from so i'm diving in and it could get crazy oh it's from our friend anthony okay i'm gonna jump in here anthony's all true vodka that's us what's up from malaysia oh your brand and passion for coffee is badass (laughs) and inspiring (laughs) to me so badass thank you you for saying that this is actually a really interesting one i remember this um from oil to coffee, I am 30 years old from Colorado and had a career in oil and gas up until last year. I got laid off and moved to Malaysia to be with my wife. It's hard to find good fresh coffee out here. And that is what drove me to discover the green side of things and the art of roasting. I bought a five kilo Turkish roaster called a Kuban. Do you know that one? I don't know that. Cool. I don't know a lot of things about roasters still. And have been learning all about roasting for the past year and never been happier. I like that you are open to sherry roasting theory and style. I sample on a Hucky 500, and there is a large, very active forum dedicated to sharing roast curves and methods using the Hucky. This popped into my head as I was listening to your podcast about the roasting community sharing as openly as baristas. I also grew up skateboarding in the streets of Chicago, so when I saw Chris's skateboards, I instantly became a fan of our brand. Your brand. That's our brand. Uh, not... All, not that all baristas are hipsters and fit into a certain mold, but it was refreshing to see someone I can relate to that has a ton of experience in coffee also going out on the town on their own at the same time. If you don't mind, I have a few questions. What is your approach to sourcing your coffee? While I would love to always connect with the producers, it seems working with importers is necessary to the, be- to the beginning to get things rolling. 
And number two, what has been our biggest challenge in starting a roastery? This is good. Looking forward to hearing more of your journey and can't wait to see the cafe once it's finished. Our boy, Anthony. Anton. Anton. Uh, so I, I'm going to take a little bit on our, our approach to sourcing. Um, our approach to sourcing is sourcing is going to be mixed. And here's why. We went to Origin and we directly selected coffees while we were there. We cupped hundreds and hundreds of coffees. But the reality is, is at least in our current state, the ability to call something in all honesty, 100% direct trade is basically not a reality. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that, yes, we went, we picked a coffee and it's our coffee. And so like we did pick it, but we're still going to have to use importing companies and it's direct trade. There's, there's like different things in my mind um, about that. But it was the quickest, that's like a quick answer is, is there's that, uh, and we're going to use importers ourselves sometimes because they select amazing coffees and we're going to make sure that those importers are the kind of importers that treat farmers well and find good coffees and are able to, you know, collaborate with our flavors, right? You know what I just thought about? I love it. No. There is a great article on our blog by Noah who yep. is at Cafe Imports, the importing company, and I'm going to repost it. Yeah, it's worth and reposting. We're going to take it to the front of the blog. So when you listen to this, if you check out the blog, this will be the, this will be the first post on the blog. It's a really amazing article about the current state of like coffee importers versus direct trade and what those things mean. And to be completely honest, he's way more knowledgeable about that than either of the two of us. But yep. I totally echo what Jared said. We can't do all direct trade at the we would actually be sacrificing quality and menu just for the sake of saying we're direct trade you've got people like cafe imports that are bringing in amazing coffees and that are actually not just like buying oh i'm just buying this whole shitload a lot or whatever they're actually having relationships with farmers and you can feel good about oh what am i even trying to say jared i have so well, they're many based, so they are direct trade right that's their deal they are direct trade they also the the <laughs> article puts out some like really interesting points uh, here's an example of one. Noah, if you're listening and I totally butcher this, you can yell at me later and, and beat me over the head. He's pretty right? strong. He crossfits with the Timberwolves. He does. He lifts. You check him out on Instagram. Um, let's say we have a coffee company, which we do, and we buy direct trade, and we value a couple things. We value taste in the final product, and we value a relationship with our farmer. So let's say we go to Farmer X this year, this crop cycle, and we cup the coffees, and we're like, this is really good. Mm. We want to buy your coffee. We're going to buy all your coffee. We're going to give you X amount of money for it. And like, we're going to lock you in. Like you're, our, you're our dudes right now. This is what's happening. And they're like, okay, cool. And like, we want to have a relationship. It's going to be great. Um, we buy the coffee next year, next harvest rolls around and the coffee's not good. And we're like, yeah, you know, I know we gave you like five or six bucks last year, but like half this coffee's not really good. And we can maybe give you like, two bucks this year for some of your coffee but we're not even going to be able to buy the whole lot and they're like dude we, we set up this infrastructure to produce the quality that you want and for reasons that are out of our control we were able were unable to produce it this year and now you're saying you're not going to buy anything like what are we supposed to do we did all this work for you and one of the biggest arguments that Noah's making is that a bigger importing company has the flexibility to be able to really actually have that relationship and be able to buy that coffee. Let's say they do have the crappier year 
And Cafe Imports is like, okay, cool. We're still going to buy all of your coffee because we can sell it through different markets that aren't exclusively specialty. Plus, we have the infrastructure that can take the hit. So even though it's coming through an importing company, it's actually more of a real relationship than what you get a lot of times with direct trade, which direct trade just means like, yeah, I'll buy your coffee if it's good and it fits right. in with my model that year. But if the quality is not good, like you can go F off or whatever. And that's like that's one of the hardest things for us that, that I have to struggle with yeah. when we're talking to people about coffee, because a lot of these green buyers will make it sound like it's like. Oh, do you compromise on relationship or do you compromise on quality? Well, we don't compromise on either of them. Well, that situation actually doesn't exist. Can't there, be possible. There are instances that are going to come up over time where you're going to have to compromise on one of them if you're actually want to be true in telling the story that you're right. selling. So it just sorry if us that in sounded a, like a rant. It's just no, like, that's a good I'm, rant because like, it just lines up with us, right? Well, we, I just feel like there's so many people who want to use so many buzzwords, and like the good thought is there, but you're like building a false impression of what's actually going on in the coffee industry, right? And you don't want to let the marketing take over the actual meaning of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, like there's a lot. There's like power in the truth, right? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So like when people start to flex and bend the truth a little bit, it really bugs me. Yeah. And so I'm sorry if I sound angry. I don't think you sound angry. I think <laughs> you just sounded passionate. They're different. Um, okay. So, oh, what was what are some of our challenges in opening up a roastery? And the straightforward one is this: the cash flow. Cash it costs flow. a lot. I mean, cash there's flow. there's no other other than that. It's actually not hard. You just have to be able to. I mean, provided you have a sample roaster, I guess that was hard too. And we had to drive to sample roast our coffee to select it. But right. I mean. Other than that, it's just paying for everything. uh, Green coffee costs a lot. You have to pay a lot up front. You don't make it back till you sell it. Yeah. Managing the position you have on hand is everything. Yeah. And Um, the buying gets tricky because you don't know how much you can hold for how long when you're first starting out. Yeah. And then I guess the other quick hit of info I would say is make sure that whoever you're getting coffee from is able to have it sent or importing it directly and naturally to the closest port to you because shipping costs from there costs a lot as well right that's another big challenge uh jared's been kind of driving back and forth to oakland a lot to pick up bags of coffee you save know, us some money four or five bags of coffee in the back of the subaru because just the price of getting you know you pay for shipping for a full pallet whether you get one or two bags so right it that cost adds up it Th- gets pretty pretty, pretty pretty real pretty pretty cray all right, so last question before we ramp this one up. It's a good one. Hey, gents. Hello. <laughs> we wanted to swing by your pop on Monday, but had to shift uh, our trip to a day early, so they didn't get to do it, and it was a bummer, and they're sad, and we are sad. We miss you, Greg Saunders. Here's a question. As an aspiring shop owner who does not see a need for roasting their own coffee, not initially at least, given how the local market wouldn't consider that as added value, that's his little parentheses, what does it look like to go about forming a partnership with a roaster? What are things to look for? What are some ups? What are some downs? Not looking to be a multi-roaster. So what are some questions to ask myself while considering options? I know that this is only one aspect of how many of the many, I'm sorry, when it comes to creating a business model, but it is definitely an important one that will bleed through in every aspect of the shop. This is a deep one. And I, I like it because of the way... So I'm, I'm just going to tell you how I think about it. And then I'm actually going to tell you what Chris and I and Charles and Cat and Cloud are going to kind of do. We'll talk about that together and what we plan on doing. So to me, and this is my value, right? It's not everybody's value. I actually value like the intention and the why of the company I'm working with and what they're about. And so I want to know what that actually is. Uh, 
more so than what it just looks like. Um, and so a lot of people don't care about that. A lot of people just like the way a brand looks and they like the way the coffee tastes. Um, taste is obvious. Chris and I have a standard taste, but we have a company. So we would look for coffee that we love for one. Uh, and beyond that, it's like, what is this company about? And do they offer the kind of things that I feel like are going to be supportive to my brand? So for Chris and I, if we were to open up Cat and Cloud and get coffee for somebody else, and he can speak a little bit more for himself, if I miss something, I wouldn't personally care as much about every single detail about where the coffee came from. I would care about some of that a lot, but I would care about more the opportunity to tell something compelling to the people that I'm selling the coffee to and have some sort of connection to like why we use that roaster and the people there and just something compelling because people are for sure going to hate me for this, but I've come to the conclusion that nobody, okay, nobody's a strong word. A lot of people that I interact with don't know who Wilfred Lamastis is yet. And I love the person. A lot of the people, when I say this is a coffee from Wilfred Lamastis, don't get it, but they do get myself and my company loving that coffee and bringing that coffee. And one day, and currently now, Wilfred Lamas is a big household name. And I say that because a lot of you know it. But that came, in my opinion, out of a big relationship that Verve forged with them early on. And Chris and I both used to him in competition. And a lot of other people got that coffee. And it was a really amazing coffee. And there was a name forged out of that that was important and special. That's cool, but there's a million different coffee producers' names out there that mean absolutely nothing to somebody. So my rant is going this way. It's like, that's less important to me than the reason why the company bought the coffee and, and the story about how we came to meet the company and things like that, that really people can relate to here. Because at the end of the day, if we're selling more coffee, that farmer is getting equal amount of love to if their name is here. It feels good for them if they get to come here and hear their name. But at the end of the day, if they sell more coffee, ultimately their life is better. And if we do anything to connect more people who potentially don't care that the person's name is well for the masses to an amazing coffee because of our connection it's more important and more impactful and i didn't necessarily get that out exactly eloquently <laughs> so that's you just getting into my brain getting weird but th that's generally what it is for me it's a great it, I, I like the idea of what you're saying that it's like you don't need to know anything but people need to trust you as a brand or, or buy into your <laughs> right. company right chris so clarifies like, for me a lot of the time and it helps well for example so I just got off shift at the bake shop and I know next to nothing about the actual physical, you know, flour that they use or right. this or that and the other, but because of the way they carry themselves as a business and because of the culture they have, I trust in them no matter what. So if I go ahead and buy, you know, a loaf of simple sourdough that is, you know, 60% unbleached white flour and 40% wheat flour, I trust that the flour that's in there, that that came from a good place and those are good top quality ingredients. I don't need to know the name of the farmer who grow, grew the flour. Right. Or grew the, the wheat or the grain, whatever. You know what I mean? I don't need to know all that stuff uh, because I, I trust them. I don't know. I think that's a really that's a really good point because you can make a stronger connection with the person in front of you, <laughs> which you can relate to for most people than you ever will with a farmer anywhere, whether it's... That you'll never meet ever in your life. Whether it's coffee or like corn or right. whatever. Well, and that's why the value of going to Origin is actually there for me. It was more seeing faces and being able to talk about how those people made me feel and how the situation made me feel because people can relate to feelings. They can't relate to names and faces. It's just, that's just a name and a face, like whatever, man. 
and it's that's a bummer to me but it's the truth as well i i can't do it yeah i i think how do you connect to that i think something else too to look for when you're looking for wholesale clientele or wholesale provider and this kind of ties back to the the other question that we answered is when you're talking to someone really listen to the language you're, they're using and listen to the way they speak back to you. And I know from firsthand experience that a lot of companies just have like a plug and play wholesale program. So like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're 25 pounds. Okay. We're going to do this, that, and other, you get this and that. When you talk to someone, make sure they're actually listening to you. You need someone who understands your needs because every business is its own unique animal. There are little tiny details and intricacies that make your needs at you know let's say you're 100 pounds a week different than the needs of someone else who might be the same volume and on paper the same kinds of business there's there's differences there that need to be addressed so oh there's more people here we hey have uh, we have one of our interviewees walking yeah, up so i was right waving him uh but yeah someone who understands what you need and will support you in that and really gets it so spend some time talking with him be like are these guys just feeding me soup or do they really care yeah there's definitely all of that and then another thing is how how willing are they to support you in ways that kind of actually matter? And what I mean by that is this. It's like, are they more interested in putting their name all over your business? <laughs> or are they interested in like just making sure that you get good coffee and that you feel taken care of? Um, I personally, like, I get it. If somebody gets my coffee, I don't... And this is just me. Like, it's maybe not even good marketing. But I don't actually care too much about, like, putting a big old sign in the window saying, proudly serving Cat and Cloud. If they ask for it, I'm stoked to give it yeah. to them. But at the end of the day, like, I want the good coffee to shine. And I want them to just talk about it. And I want them to feel good about their relationship with us. And where I was even going beyond that is, are they willing to do something, something, whatever it is, in an opportunity to collaborate with you? And I don't. that can mean a million different things. That can mean that they come there and hang out with you a bit. That can mean that you double up on a mug or something up and you put, yeah. you know, or, or, or there's like a million ideas here. I just had a craziest idea. It's we probably should. a great idea. Oh, man. We have to talk about it offline, though. Oh, Chris I, had I'm a sorry, sick yeah. idea. Oh, man. This is it's how they fully, happen. You it's guys. not fully fleshed out, but we my, gotta brain, flush my it out. brain was rolling. Sorry. But anyways, it's like, are, are they willing to also like endorse you because of you and and help you out it's it's it, is it about you like are they supporting you or are they supporting themselves and i think you if you are wise and you pay attention you will know the people who are just trying to sell coffee to make money versus the people who are so passionate about their product that they want to share it there's a difference between sharing and selling 100 percent agreed so and I, the real news yeah. is, is that if your coffee is good and you don't have a big ass sign in the window the customers are going to want to know what it is anyway right because you're going to be serving this coffee. It's going to be remarkably different. They're going to be like, dude, what is this? What's happening? Yeah. Which is actually what's happening now over at Companion. the big shop. Yeah. We yeah. don't have like a big old sign up that says, cat and cloud in your face. Because that's not, it's it's not, not important. Us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's really not what's going to happen. But people notice the quality. Yeah. And they notice that it's like a unique taste. I mean, they had, to be fair, they had good coffee before we got there. They did have good they coffee. They had good coffee. But... The, they can tell that there's something different going on, and they ask about it. And if they like it, they're going to know about it. You don't need the sign. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, we're limited right now in our ability to reach wholesale ac accounts, but we're not terribly limited. I mean, our roaster came, and in the near future, we're going to be able to do this. And uh, w we have the Companion Bake Shop, and there are things that, that we're going to do to people who potentially want to join up in relationship with us and be exclusive. 
So I mean, it's like we're getting, we're getting mugged out by the some, construction. Yeah, the construction crew right is now. all why they have microphones. They think we're total <laughs> idiots right now. Uh, they love us, bro. We're they giving them a us, job yeah. right Look now. At Simon, dude. Simon, Simon is a CrossFitter. Uh, anyway, so Look at yeah, how handsome he is. He is handsome. We have a very <laughs> handsome elec- electrician. Um, I don't let my wife come around him because he's that handsome. <laughs> True. <laughs> Just kidding. She's the best. I'm so lucky. Uh, so anyways, things that we would do just to like, well, we're going to talk about this and wrap it up. But we want to establish true relationships. And we don't care to have 100,000 accounts. We care to have important accounts that want to collaborate with us. And we have some really cool ideas to share. But I mean, one thing that we've kind of committed to do is just make sure that myself and Chris can go down or, or around or wherever and and work with these people literally like like physically be on bar like on the shift with the people working with them and we think that that'll allow good back and forth it'll allow on the fly training it'll allow just opportunity to talk and it'll allow people to actually at these places get to know us as the people who supply the coffee and for us, that's literally the ability to have a relationship and to be like, this place is so awesome and basically sell the shop we're in ourselves and our coffee with them and like collaborate. It's, it's a fun way to do that. Yeah, it's a full on win win because no one's going to sell your products as well as you can. Yeah. In a sense of that, you're like the ultimate you enthusiast know brand ambassador about it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this over over across the way at the bake shop and. You know, we switch coffees and I'm at the bake shop a few days a week and me being there and people just being able to talk to me about it. They're curious, like, what is this bag here? And I'm like, oh, and I can really tell them about our company. It's like, you know, it's the three of us. We're over on the east side of Santa Cruz. We're a little startup. And it's just the resonation and connection that you can have with a customer versus let's say you just switch your coffee program and then. Monday you had one coffee and then Tuesday there's a whole nother bag on the shelf. Nobody knows why. And like the employee at the shop's like, oh yeah, we got new coffee. It's like a little bit better. Right. It doesn't really hit as hard when you can talk to the person who roasted the coffee. Right. The people who own the company, the people that created this out of nothing. It's a powerful experience. And it goes my, I, dude, one time I was trying, I met Dwayne Sorensen like way back in the day. Right. I the remember. time that we competed. Mm-hmm. And the dude like was like, yeah, if you come to Portland, like email me. And he gave me his email. Right. And I emailed him when I went up there and he met up with me and did a cupping. I'm literally nobody living in some little stupid Central Valley town. Like no, I never worked at a cool coffee job in my life. And this that I don't know. That's how you do my life. And I was just like, dude, Stumptown's awesome. Right. I don't care. Like nobody can tell me otherwise. Yeah. I'm like, this is the coolest company ever. The owner of the company, who's also the green buyer, who's also like, I didn't even know how much of a legend he was at the time. He was hustling. He was hustling. I was like, dude, this is badass. Right. And even beyond that cool little opportunity for lore, there is also the opportunity to hear from the words or from the mouth of the person who produces all the information. Like everybody there can actually speak in a really comfortable, authentic way about your product and get behind it because they get to connect with you as a person, like Chris said, but they also get to be like, no, 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 I heard, I heard them say this. Like, I can tell you this with all confidence and all passion. Like, this is, this is what this company and this coffee is about. And I got to hang out with them. Like, they're not, they literally aren't just selling coffee. They really love what they're doing. And it's just, it goes so, 
much deeper. Anyway, so that's like one of the big things we're doing. And, and I'm not going to tell you the rest oh, of it. You get to work bar at all kinds of and crazy places, bar. which is pretty sick. And you get to give feedback and be like, hey, you know what you could do to potentially improve this? Or you know what I love here? And you know what? And you can learn something. You're exactly. like, oh, you're doing this? That's like, crazy. Yeah. I never would have thought of that in a Sharing million information, years. Sharing information, just yeah. so much better. So anyways. A little knowledge bombs. There's <laughs> there's more to it. And just for the sake of plugging the shenanigans out of ourselves, if you are interested in wholesale, we are ready to take on a couple. Um, info at catandcloud.com and just we can talk more about this stuff uh, again shout out to, to Companion Bake Shop for being our first and only in Santa Cruz and being able to serve their coffee, our coffee before ourselves Yeah, it's been really cool to get coffee there you guys are killing it so thank you and uh, we're going to wrap this baby up and do, a, do an interview I just thank you guys so much for coming this has been the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast Chris Baca, Jared Truby we love you and it's not the drugs we don't say it enough see you guys later Shout out to Curtis Brewers. Curtis has been pretty amazing to us over the years, and they have some pretty cool stuff going on. This is their 75th anniversary of this year. They are the first company to bring digital digital technology to brewing. Going digi, straight digi. I think one of the coolest things they do is they do 48-hour turnaround on all orders. So if you need a brewer in like two days, you can get that. Yeah, and mo most of the time it's actually faster, which is a trip. Uh, the other thing is that they're a family-owned company, and we're super down with that. They are four generations deep, and they have really built themselves a legitimate empire. We really believe in the family-owned and operated deal. They're from California, which is where we're from. So You know what's cool in California? We love it anymore. It's solar. Solar! Energy efficiency. They have, what, 38,380? They have, like, the some odd thousands of solar panels. So many solar panels that they are 90% neutral in their energy use. So if that's not enough shout-outs and that's enough reason to get involved with these guys i don't really know what it is chris i got one more what coffee tastes awesome oh yeah we drink it all the time out of curtis brewers that's just like a bonus i guess though yeah i mean if you want good coffee in an if awesome you want company coffee, yeah i mean it's whatever and it's not cat and cloud try curtis <laughs>